time travelers. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I am one of your hosts, Angel. And I'm your other host, Brandon. And this is our twice monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Because it doesn't make sense. None of it. Were you using like a British accent at the beginning there? You know, it was an accent of my own creation. Oh. It was a, uh, I believe the technical term is a hodgepodge. Uh, a hodgepodge accent. Yeah, it was a hodgepodge of various accents that I've collected over the years. Did you do it on purpose? Um, I don't think so. I think it might just be where my voice is moving toward in this next era of my life. Oh, like Madonna when yes, she had... Yes, I think I might just be just, you know, a little more articulate with my words. Do you remember that era distinct. when Lindsay Lohan had like a like Slovenian accent? No. Oh, wait, yes, I do. Yeah, I do. That, was, that was hilarious. Yeah. Or remember when like Gaga had the like Swedish accent era? Was that like during art pop? Yeah, I think so. So it was probably just part of that whole installation. Who can say? But how fun. I want to have an accent era. Uh, You did have an accent era, honey. Darling, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, listen, when I do my Australian accent, I'm well aware that I'm doing my Australian accent. It's not like I do it all the time and try and pass it off as something that it isn't. It's just a party trick. It's also a deep joy for me to speak in that way. I think it brings a deep joy to a lot of people. Well, jury's out. That's true. I'm Brandon Alter. I am a queer spirit healer. I'm known to just jump into an introduction at any moment. I'm a tarot reader, an astrologer, an intuitive. I'm also a writer and... At some points in my life, I've been a performer, and perhaps at some points in the future, I will be one again. Yeah. Who are you? I am Angel Lopez. I am your husband. I am a writer. I'm a film producer. I am an astrologer, uh, as well as a teacher of astrology, tarot, and other metaphysical uh, modalities, and a jack of... Very few trades. We're certainly not potters. No, we are stinky potters. We're not ceramicists. We tried. We took a six-week class. We failed. Well, I think our teacher failed us, and as a result, we then pretty much failed. The library is open. Well, I mean, I don't think Matt listens to this podcast. Well, if he does... Girl, do better. (laughs) You know, I think because we're teachers, we understand what makes a good teacher. And he was really just like not checked in, not present, really frustrated working with beginners, more interested on like his own projects than like taking us through the very complicated world of uh, wheel throwing. Yeah, it is challenging. Yeah. But I did have... Some moments of joy working on that wheel. I did, but they were few and far between. (laughs) I got to be honest. I could see a version of myself really like getting into it and like spending hours each day at the wheel throwing and trimming and glazing and 
opening up like a cute little shop with all my little wares, but it's not going to happen for quite some time because it is just so hard. Yeah. So hard. And look, I can see a version of myself in a long blue Chanel trench and a cute little matching beret racing across a street in New York trying to grab my latte so I can get to work before my boss, Miranda, gets there. Oh, I was like, I'm really into this era for you. And then I realized you were just putting yourself into an episode of Sex in the City. No, it was Devil Wears Prada. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. But um, Anywho, that, that could have been a lifetime for me. We digress. <laughs> we from, digress. from nothing, really. We just... <laughs> you just uh, wanted to publicly shame our... Ceramicist teacher. No, I just wanted to share that, you know, we're always trying new things and sometimes those new things just don't work out. Yeah, it's true. And also, if you are a good teacher, no matter what you teach, it's super valuable. Yeah. You know? Because he really he really killed what could have been a enduring love for ceramics. Angel's making all sorts of faces. <laughs> Angel's like, how can you be telling this sort of scandalous truth on the air? But it's like, come on, this is pretty low stakes. <laughs> Very true. Very true. I keep it real. You know, I keep it a hundred. You know, it's not like I'm right. It's not like I'm writing a nasty Yelp. Yeah. The funny thing is, is on our last class, he like really clicked in. Like he really became like a totally different version of himself that he had not been for the previous five classes. It's like he overheard our conversation on the way home the previous week. I thought there was going to be like a teacher evaluation questionnaire at the end of the class. And he was like (laughs) trying to sweeten us for it. But as it turns out, there was no evaluation. No, I think he was just as glad it was ending as we were. I guess so. (laughs) It's like our time has ended. And our time has ended. Uh, when it comes to talking about this. Oh, all right. Well, moving on. So here's the thing, everybody. We are uh, actually uh, recording this about, I'd say about, you know, three weeks before this episode actually will be released. Oh, wow. Will, you're you're blowing up our spot. Yeah. We will actually be, it, well, look, you want full transparency here, so I'm giving full transparency as well. I like selective full transparency. <laughs> oh, I like now to choose she's selecting. what I reveal. Now choose she's what I conceal. Well, can we break the tension? Uh, I want everyone to know we are going to be uh, actually in... Mexico City, allegedly, when we release this episode. Um, so our check-in isn't really one of presence because... Well, we're present. Well, we're present right now as we record it. It's just not contemporary. It's not contemporary. Exactly. Um, so we will actually be coming to you in real time, uh, really like, I think it's like the third week of November... Uh, right as Sag season is about to begin, right? I think right after the Scorpio new moon. Uh, and I just thought it could be interesting to ask you. Me? Yeah. Because we've been talking about just the strangeness of time and space. Is it really holding up we mentioned on our last episode uh our friend will talking about how time has abandoned us and so with that in mind what are you hoping 
your future self will be checking in around, feeling, celebrating, releasing when we come back. Oh, goddess, this is like so meta. (laughs) Well, you know, as I've made no secret, 2023 has been a truly challenging year. And we've been looking forward to this trip for quite a long time because we love to go on adventures and it usually revitalizes us and just helps us see the world and ourselves in a new way. So I would like to think that after this expedition to Mexico City and the sacred pyramids of Teotihuacan, that I'm coming back feeling nourished and super spiritually resourced. I'd like to think that I've made a lot of progress on my musical and that I'm getting really close to having a completed first draft of that. I'd like to think that I'm super snatched and my skin's never looked better. And impossible. Everywhere I go. For it to get any better looking than it is now, I mean. People are just like, who's that girl? Who's that girl? Oh. That was a Madonna reference for you because I'm feeling generous and kind. I appreciate it. It's actually my second Madonna reference of the episode. Is it? Yeah, remember I talked about her accent. Oh, true. So, well, I can't wait for the third. It's just raining. It's raining Madonna. Oh my God, there it was. Number three. Good job. Because of her song Rain? Of course. Feel it on her fingertips. Mm hmm. Hear it on my window pane. All right. (laughs) What would your future (laughs) self be checking in around after our traveling boot? You know what? That's a great question. Yeah, it is. Thank you. Come up with it myself. Thank you. Hello, time traveler. Hello, time traveler. Hello, time traveler. Top of the time travel to you. <laughs> Cheerio. <laughs> oh, my God. We just lost all of our UK uh, listeners. They're like, really? Now you're coming for us? We're not coming for you, actually. No one's We're safe. Trying. We're just trying. We're trying so hard. Okay. Um, gosh, what, what would my future self be? What would I hope my future self would be checking in around. Well, I hope my future self will have had a really profound spiritual reconnection moment, like one where I feel like I have plugged back in at an even deeper level, that I have come into greater contact with my spirit of joy that I feel so excited to be a creative person who has the ability to tell stories in the way only I can and that I'm feeling the tiniest sense of hope, of hope or at least connection to the greater world that we live in and that 
there is a future to put all of my work and resources into that I can be excited for and that I look super snatched and that my skin is flawless and that I have like a gorgeous new piece of jewelry that I'm so excited about and that Madonna is actually singing Rescue Me on the Celebration Tour. Will you know that at that point? Well, yeah, because the tour starts. Oh, right. She's not the sort of artist that like changes up the set list while she's going? No. Oh. No, it's it's locked. Yeah. Well, it's that, those Virgo placements, huh? It's actually just, I think, like a big diva stadium tour, like, you know, I think there might be a section where she maybe does like an acoustic thing. She's done that in the past where that song will shift around. A la like a Taylor Swift moment. But um, I think most of it will be the same. Got it. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait to find out. Me too. We're going to put this in a little lockbox. And, um, you know, the next episode after this one that you all listen to, we'll check in for reals. And, and let you know. that will be the final episode of our Astrology Untucked series. Seriously. So if nothing else, at least we accomplished something this year. Yeah. And I think by then we'll also have uh, details on how to sign up for the next installment of the Wheel of the Year. Installment of the Wheel of the Year. The dreaming season. Hello, dreaming season travelers. Tut tut, dreamers. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, so yeah, so we'll have all of that available to you on that episode as well. But what we're mostly excited about with this episode is the return of the spirit talk. Y'all, the spirit talks are back. I know it's been a while, but we are now, we're, we're rolling. We're, we're rolling. stacking them up. We got a lot of people that we're excited to draw out in conversation and kicking that back off the return to the spirit talk is Alex Burden. And Alex has this amazing tarot deck called the Tarot Obscura. And we stumbled upon it last time we were out in the high desert. Literally just tripped over a pack. I mean, almost. <laughs> yeah. We were like in a cool shop. Yeah. But you might be surprised to know that I actually don't buy tarot decks that often. In fact, I'm quite particular about getting a new deck because to me if I get a new deck all of a sudden I'm like starting a new relationship I don't like to accumulate more relationships than I can tend and because the deck that I work with I love so much it's been a long time since I found a deck that I really wanted to to start to explore and every deck has its own gateway into the tarot so every tarot deck has a story that's true Kathy Lee <laughs> so that's all to say I was very impressed with this tarot deck I bought it and I've been working with it. And then I reached out to Alex to see if he would be at all interested in talking about his creation of this and his own spiritual practice. He's a super interesting guy. So I know you're going to love this conversation. But before we get into any of that, we want to reintroduce a segment. Oh my gosh. Unearth. In a way that we've never done it before. You've maybe known it as... Medicine we don't bag, need, yeah, we don't even need to is, go over. It's cringy. Yeah, you know, we've done cringy things. When you know better, you do better. <laughs> and then we called it something 
else. I don't even remember. But I don't even know what that was. Like spirit pouch. Or like our spirit suitcase or something stupid. Yeah. Anyway, we're calling this section, this segment, (laughs) our eighth house obsessions. Yes. So... What? What are you laughing at? It's just funny that we have like not been able to like land on something with this. But basically, the whole segment is about us sharing things that we are super into right now that don't involve reality stars. Yeah, things that are like helping us get through that are nourishing to us. So let's head into this episode's eighth Eighth house Obsessions. obsessions. Ooh. Hi, you rang. Welcome to the eighth house. We want to hear everything about your latest obsession. We want you to talk about the things you're not supposed to talk about. Yeah, but they don't have to be like under the cover type of items. They can be things that are out in the open. They're just things that you only like to play with when you're alone. No, that's not entirely true. Well, we sometimes play with them together. Yeah, sometimes we do. We're playing with them right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to go first. We'll go back and forth. Okay, so I'm obsessed with the new Kylie Minogue album. It's called Tension. The title track, Tension, is probably going to be my number one most played song of the year. The chorus of this song goes, oh my God, touch me right there. Almost there, touch me right there. Don't be shy, what I don't bite, you know where, touch me right there. I made my friend Brittany play this song for her five-year-old daughter, and I wanted her response to the song. She listened to the song, very quiet, very rapt, and then afterwards she said, Mommy, that song is weird. And she's not wrong, this song is weird. But then it became her favorite song too, and then she asked her teacher if the whole class of like pre-K could dance to this Kylie Minogue song, and then they all did. So I like to imagine all of these like little five-year-olds dancing to this Kylie Minogue song, which is genius. But the whole album is fantastic. I have this very Aquarian trait. Other Aquarians, let me know if this is true for you too. Or when I have a song that I like, I will just listen to it and listen to it into the ground. I will run it into the ground. And that's basically what I'm doing with this album because it is really given me the motivation that I need to get through a workout or a run or just cleaning, cleaning the house. Mm-hmm. So I'm obsessed with Kylie Minogue's tension, and I'm very excited that we get to go see her live in March. But that's a that's a future self, many future jumps away. I know. I can't wait. Uh, my favorite song from that album is Hold On To Now. I just love it so much. I think that will probably be my number one song at the end of the year it that is I've great, played 9,000 times. Yeah. Uh, well... An album that I am obsessing over and listening to quite a bit is uh, called Midair by an artist named Rami. Romy? Maybe Romy. Rami? Remy? It's spelled R-O-M-Y. M-Y. Let's say Romy. Let's say Romy. So Romy was actually one of the members of a band called the XX that was out uh, a while back, a few years back. The mid-aughts, mid-late-aughts. Yeah. But she has released a, a full album of her own, and it is just like beautiful, dreamy, romantic. Queer electro dance pop. Queer electro dance synth pop. 
It's so phenomenal. I had heard a couple of the songs before the whole album came out, particularly one called Enjoy Your Life, which I just found like so both moving and energizing. It's been on a breathwork playlist if you Yeah, for sure. Popped into a breathwork. Yeah. Uh but we uh I guess last month had to go down to San Diego and both Brandon and I kind of took these like solo journeys uh in the morning. Well, Brandon wanted to go for a jog and I thought I was going to need to sleep in, but then I woke up and was just kind of energized. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go take a walk. And we were in La Jolla. So I just ended up like walking through the streets of the neighborhood of La Jolla in search of a coffee and then ended up finding the path along the ocean. And at that moment was like, oh, right. I want to listen to that Romeo album. So I put it on and proceeded to listen, you know, it became the soundtrack of this walk along the ocean and seeing all the like sea lions there and the people of the morning, the artists setting up their booths. And it was just so beautiful uh, that I ended up listening to it twice uh, from start to finish, back to back through that whole excursion. And I've just been completely obsessed with it ever since. It's like rare that I find an al- a full album from an artist that is just like no skips for me. And that one is it. Well, the funny thing is, is I listened to that whole album all the way through when I was on my jog that morning. Well, I sent it to you. Then like while we were, while I was out, I just knew you were out jogging. So I texted it to you. And um, so we were both having, yeah, these like moments with that album that morning. Yeah. And then maybe like a week or two later, my brother was like, there's this album. I think you're going to love it. It's by this artist named Rami. And I was like, oh, cool. You'll have to send it to me. And then he you was like telling me about it. Romy? And, and no, because I thought it was a totally different artist. And then I was like, wait, you mean Romy? I've listened to it. It's amazing. So R-O-M-Y. Yeah, I know. Maybe we do need to go see her on concert. I don't know. Too many concerts. We'll Too see. many <laughs> concerts. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, so there you have it. What else are you obsessing on? All right. I just finished this book and everybody's probably already read it. I'm a little late to the game, but it's called The Midnight Library and it is a really quick read. It's about a girl who is not having her life and so she decides to take it and in the space between lives, she finds herself in the Midnight Library where she's given the opportunity to explore potential lives had she made different decisions and so i really loved a just kind of like the sci-fi multiple dimension aspect of it because haven't we all wondered what our life would be like if we'd made this decision or done this differently and there's talk about you know like in quantum physics and you know like the multiple worlds theory that like every crossroads in your life or you know every time you've thought about doing this and doing that, like it creates another reality. So there's all of these kind of infinite versions of ourselves that could exist. And so this book in like a very kind of like down to earth, uh, straightforward way kind of imagines this. And I just really enjoyed it. And I think if you are one of those people that sometimes wishes you could live 12 lives in one, you might really find it rewarding. I always like think that like, what if I had done this? Or like, what if I had done that? You know? Of course. Think about it all the time. What if I just gave everything up and became a ceramicist, you know? What would my life be like? 
I think like that teacher we had. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, a grouchy, grouchy teacher. Yeah. Too obsessed with my own pots to help others make their own. Like, really? You need a moment of my time? Okay, fine. Literally yelled at me on one class. It was literally like, no, 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 not like that, like I showed you. And I was like, I don't remember what you showed me because this is very complicated. I know, you're like, I'm not a dog. Sorry, I obviously have a little bit of like trauma that I have to heal around this I class. I think you do, and I think we've all been bearing witness to it here for you. Okay, well, I'm really sorry. No. I should have had a trigger warning. You know? Maybe I... you too have had like a teacher that like killed your budding joy for something. I'd like to know. And then let's reclaim our joy. <laughs> reclaim your joy. Um, quick shout outs to Lori Lou who gifted me that book for my birthday. Yes. And I read it and loved it and passed it along to Brandon. So thanks, Lori. Uh, the other thing I have been obsessing on is the Supermodels documentary series that was on Apple TV+. Plus. It's a four-part series. And it really chronicles specifically uh, the rise of Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell, Christy Turlington, and Linda Evangelista. Linda Evangelista. What a cipher. What a an icon. Truly. Like, I didn't know, like of all of them, I think I knew Linda the least. Mm-hmm. And now I think I love her the most. Oh, yeah. I knew Christy the least. And I... I, I mean, I left loving all of them. Well, of course. I think um, it basically it tells you their stories. It kind of goes back and forth between the four of them giving their stories of how they became models and their place in the industry and sort of the rise of the supermodel movement in the 90s. And then as that industry evolved and society evolved like how that affected them all and um i think it's just like as someone who grew up um as a teen in the 90s i was obviously very aware of them and their role in society and also like their effects on just beauty standards and the docu-series totally looks at that as well and how there was blowback against them. And it's, it's I think, just, like, very interesting. Um, and they are very fascinating characters. But, yeah, Linda Evangelista had a extremely challenging life, um, particularly just dealing with her health. Um, but I think for also me... Also marrying that terrible man. Yeah, like it's, it's super fascinating. Um, and her challenging relationship with just being a model now. But you... I think also really get to learn and understand Naomi Campbell in a oh. way that I didn't. Well, so for me, like I discovered Linda Evangelista, like I didn't even know her. I knew Naomi Campbell because hello, I don't live under a rock. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I got to like really know Naomi Campbell and I didn't realize so much of like how she came up, mm-hmm. you know, and all of these like father figures that she had, you know, that yeah really helped make her into, into who she is. And I had no idea about like, the breadth of the philanthropy that she engages with. I know. And also I think just like how much negativity was placed on her and her reputation by very specific people, because I think there was, I think a lot of people think of Naomi Campbell and think, Oh yes, I've heard she's like difficult and mean or what have you. 
and the the docu series explores that a little bit and you hear from her and her perspective of that which i just thought was very interesting totally it would maybe be an interesting episode to look at all four of their charts actually oh yeah wouldn't that be fun i think it'd be an interesting episode to have all four of them on oh well and I we mean, could read them all together of course. Uh, yeah clearly yeah so if anyone is friends with you know <laughs> christy linda cindy or naomi uh let us know We'd love to talk to one or ideally all of them. <laughs> you better work. Cover girl. All right. So that's something to listen to or something to read or something to watch. Yeah. What are you eating right now? <laughs> what, are you, what are you loving to eat? <laughs> well, I'm loving to eat brown rice. I feel like I've rediscovered brown rice. Wait, really? Yeah. It's just like... A grain that I had let go of. I think I just let go of rice in general, giving it like a bad reputation in my head. Like, oh, that's a carb. I shouldn't have it. But you know what? Brown rice is delicious and it pairs well with so many things. So brown rice, everybody, get back to her. I literally have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) You said, what am I eating? (laughs) I have not seen you eat brown rice in like in a while that's not true every time we get Thai I get a little side of brown rice these days I bought those brown rices I was making them with our dinners oh yeah I guess you have been having a a love affair with brown rice yeah it's a minor renaissance yeah okay that's fair what are you what are you drinking right now that you're just like can't get enough of oh my goddess you know what I can't get enough of what are we doing right now uh no just you know they make this Earl Grey simple syrup at the coffee shop we love, and I really love me an Earl Grey latte. It's just like, oh, Earl Grey is one of my favorite flavors, honestly. It's a great flavor. I'm just, I'm kind of a botanical queen. Like, I just like love a botanical flavor, you know, like an Earl Grey, a bergamot, a lavender, a rose. Like, I just, I love it. I can't get enough of it. I don't find it soapy. I'm here for it. I want that for you, all Thank of you. It. Thank you so much, yeah. Um, and what I really want for everyone is for us to move on so that we can get to this episode's spirit, spirit talk. So gazers, we are very excited that we have in the virtual spirit room Alex Burden. And Alex is best known as Crypto Cartography, so that's where you will find him on Instagram or Etsy. And he is a cartographer and an illustrator and the creator of the Tarot Obscura deck, which is how we found out about him in the first place. So welcome, Alex. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on the show. So you do a lot of different things, and I know that you are an archaeologist for the National Forest Service, and you also create these like gorgeous illustrated maps of the national parks. But the place I really want to start and center our conversation, and this is, you know, very self-serving here, is around the tarot. You created this really amazing, very mystical deck that we stumbled upon quite mystically when we were in Joshua Tree. And... My first question for you is, how did this deck come to be? Oh, man. Well, first of all, I'm so jazzed that you folks found it at Joshua Tree. I actually, I think I only placed them there, like, probably, like, about four months ago or something like that. Um, oh, wow. I was 
doing a art residency out at high desert test sites um around there um so god yeah i'm, I'm glad that, that uh they got found and, and that you guys came across them um it kind of started where uh a couple of, of my best friends um they uh were getting married and i really wanted to try and make like a very special gift and for a long time you know i'd, I'd been batting around the idea of making a tarot deck and i knew that they were really into the tarot um, so I started a few months before the wedding, um, and started pouring a whole bunch of ideas. I just had kind of floating around trying to make a tarot deck. Finally, um, took a whole lot longer than I expected. Uh, I got the full form to them a little bit, uh, after the wedding. Um, but yeah, it was, it was initially meant as, as a gift and yeah, actually it wasn't until, it was finished that I, I decided to try and make scans and, and make prints of it later on. Wow. So it was an offering of love and it wasn't even an idea of, of business first, which I think is so cool. I definitely feel like honestly with making the tarot deck, if, <laughs> if I'd gone into it with uh, business first, it, it might've been a lot more difficult. Well, you are an incredibly thoughtful friend for making offering up such an ambitious gift. Oh my God, thank you. I, I mean, like, really, uh, I feel reflects more more on on my friends uh, Evan and Tilly. Uh, big, big shout out to them. They are amazing friends and have like taught me a whole lot and um, have just shared some amazing experiences. And yeah, I, I thought that it would be something very fitting, I, I guess, to to give back to them. Wow. Well, yeah, it sets a really high bar for wedding gifts, to say the least. Seriously. <laughs> I'm curious, then, where did you start? As far as like in the tarot, where did you start? Oh, I most of the ideas that I had initially, I really wanted for, like you know, of course, the big ones in the major arcana. But I was still kind of like nailing down the aesthetic, honestly, as I was like making it originally, because I, I realized like my, my work season ended. And then I was like, oh, crap, I've only got like X amount of time to make the tarot deck. Um, so I was kind of like learning as I did it to a certain extent. Um, I started with the wands, starting with the ace of wands and then working through it. And then I did cups and pentacles. And then I think that I'd kind of like gotten the style that I wanted to do after that. Then I did the major arcana and then finished up with swords um after that um it was, it was definitely a bit of a scramble and there were a few that i went back later on and i was like, oh i want to change a little bit so i redrew a few of the cards um to kind of reference some of the others and stuff but yeah began with the wands <laughs> what a purposeful choice in my opinion and it might not have even been uh conscious for you but just to begin with an ace of wands which is sort of like a the beginning of a spiritual active you're know, an active spiritual journey and here you were like utilizing that as your doorway into the process amazing it was really wonderful starting with the wands too because i feel like they have i don't know i guess all of the different suits have you know a discrete journey uh in them but i feel like in the wands that like it really stood out to me kind of like the the beginning of like a, of an intellectual journey of, of an emotional journey and it really helped me like map a lot of the the whole deck of just kind of like working through the suit of wands originally and by the end of the suit of wands i was like okay i think i've figured out kind of what i want to do with it and i guess my question for you as we start to explore your relationship with this tarot deck is what was your relationship with the tarot before creating this deck 
you know, I'd always really, I think that at first, and maybe this isn't too unusual for tarot, but I think I just fell in love with the aesthetic, like, of you know, the classic Rider Waite Smith, of course, where um, Rider Waite Smith, I feel like it just has so much of like an archetypal power to it. I feel like it has this kind of feeling of being like a space out of time or like a, a sort of just like very deep kind of esotericism to it. And I think that I, I love the aesthetic. Um, I didn't do tarot readings or hadn't received very many uh, by, you know, the the time that uh, I actually started working on the deck. I, I just kind of like looked into more of like the story behind it. Um, and that, yeah, I, I really just love the kind of entire atmosphere of looking at the Rider Waite Smith deck. And um, there were you know, few and far between the tarot readings I'd had beforehand, but they were frequently very, very meaningful. Um, I, I was working uh, outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, and there are a bunch of people that I ran into that were really, really into the tarot, and um, a few neighbors, some co-workers who performed just the, the most incredible readings that I feel like really influenced a lot of my life um, in the years after that. And would you ever pull cards for yourself? Like, was there a deck that you were working with? Like, not to give readings, but just to kind of inform your life? Usually with the Rider Waite Smith. Um, I would sometimes do single card readings, usually, and um, just something to kind of like begin the day with or something. And a lot of it was really just that I was hoping to learn the Tarot a little bit better to kind of understand what all of them meant. But it eventually became something where I felt like the cards that I drew in the day actually did give me a whole lot of insight beyond just learning what the cards meant. Yeah, amazing. That's how we recommend people learn the tarot. Like when we teach it, we say like, the only way you really learn what the cards mean is by pulling cards and seeing how they show up in your life. And that's how you develop like a personal relationship with the tarot. And that's what I really feel in your deck is it really is such a personal, and I would say like almost intimate, relationship with the tarot that's coming through while simultaneously referencing the Rider Waite Smith because I see like the architecture of the way that Pamela created those images you know like the way you're working with the court cards but then it is so personal I feel like I definitely tried to pour a whole lot of inspirations into it because like I, I definitely I don't know a lot of my kind of interest in just art that I try and create or art that I really enjoy uh you know experiencing by others it's just anything that has like a really strong atmosphere to it like movies books video games that can just kind of draw you in and immerse you and like almost anything that like any kind of narrative that it has something like that usually doesn't matter that much i just like it if it kind of is very immersive and seems to be kind of tied into like the broader artscape i guess and like different things that were going on in the artist's head. And I know that for the years beforehand, there were just a whole bunch of aesthetics and like ideas that I really loved with um, a lot of Arabic architecture, a lot of space art, um, a lot of kind of memento mori woodcuts, uh, just a whole kind of like series of styles that I just loved so much. And um I really, I mean, mostly because I just really like them, but uh, also because they, they're just fun to draw. It's a great time. Um, but I, I really tried to kind of put what I 
personally loved it into the deck and really enjoyed kind of weaving. And and I tried my best to not, I suppose, to stay true to the tarot and, you know, to kind of be an extension of like the Rider Waite Smith deck, but also just put in a few kinds, you know, just a few inspirations that I thought uh, kind of jived with its atmosphere. So one thing I love about the deck is that every character depicted is a skeleton with the exception of death. And the reason why I love that is because I find that the tarot can be so gendered. And so then you are sometimes like barred entry from feeling like you can see yourself in certain images when the truth is, is like we are everything that's depicted in the tarot. So the skeleton kind of just like created this like, oh yeah, like it's, there's a uniformity there that I really loved. So I'm curious, why is everybody a skeleton? except for death. Uh, oh boy, I've got a lot to say on this. Um, <laughs> like, uh, first of all, with, with like the the gendering, that was a, a very, I guess when I went into it initially, I wasn't expecting it to be a deliberate choice. Um, at first I was playing around with like, oh, maybe like for the empress um, or the, the high priestess, I should put like a little rose in like where the skeleton's ear would be or, or like a rose crown or something. And then I was like, why, why make it gendered at all? Um, I feel like I never really wanted to view the tarot in a particularly gendered way outside of perhaps masculine and feminine energies and the like. But I, you know, I go by he, him pronouns, but, you know, like to consider myself relatively non-binary and androgynous and usually don't really identify very strongly with, with a particular gender. And I think a lot of my thought kind of leans in that kind of way as well. And once I kind of had that realization like visually that like I thought it would be kind of ham-fisted to like be giving the skeletons genders and I was like oh, <laughs> of course that's what I do that's what I want to do anyway and like I feel like it, it it goes a lot deeper than just being like oh this is a guy and this is a gal and in the I thought it really didn't matter when making it and yeah that that eventually was something that I really wanted to kind of stress in the deck was like a sense of androgyny um with the skeletons truth be told um a large part of it is i can't draw people <laughs> it's, so hard to draw people. it's oh god I, i've always loved drawing skeletons and i was like oh, i'm gonna be drawing a, a lot of figures for it so might as well make it skeletons but um a lot of that i uh really also loved a lot of kind of like medieval woodcuts lithography um memento mori and the the works of um uh, Albrecht Dürer, um, who also drew a lot of skeletons. And I think a lot of it was kind of created in, you know, European Middle Ages with uh, the plague. Um, but like I'm half German and I grew up a good chunk of my life in Germany. And you still find all around Europe all of these old plague drawings. And I found them kind of disturbing, but also very esoteric and mystical and kind of alluring. And I wanted to put that into the deck. And like... I saw, of course, in the Rider Waite Smith that um, I, I believe the only like prominent skeleton that is displayed in the Rider Waite Smith is Death. And like, there's um, a very good friend of mine. Um, she showed me uh, a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, Nothing to Fear in the Dark is the name of the episode. And um, in it, there's like an old woman who is like uh, kind of barricaded her house because she knows that the death is coming for her. Um, and then uh, death shows up. Well, well, she doesn't know it's death, but suspects it when like a very handsome man uh, shows up at the doorway and wants to get in because he has an emergency and slowly, eventually she lets him in. Um, and then it turns out it is death. Um, but the death 
kind of ma- makes this this motion of like it's hard. <laughs> well, of course, uh, listeners probably can't see it, but he reaches out with um, his arm and says, "Like, there's nothing to fear in the dark." Um, and yeah, death is this this very I forget the name of the actor, but a very handsome man. Um, and I always like the idea of this like beautiful young like vibrant, um, very welcoming death. Um, and kind of it being like a, a warm embrace with that. And I thought that uh, it would be fun to kind of do a reversal uh, of the Rider Waite Smith with skeletons and people being um, reversed, but then also to kind of give a more kind of, yeah, a warmer sense of death. I feel like usually when death has showed up in the cards for me, um, that. I don't know. It, it 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 means a lot of spiritual catharsis. I feel like it means frequently so many positive things, and I feel like it, it can get a very bad rap uh, if it was just you know a, a scarier grim reaper than all the other skeletons. I thought it'd be better to be a, a human and, and warmer figure. Uh, I yeah, I love that so much. And in just looking at the card and being able to recognize that intention of the welcoming figure. Not only because he is, yeah, I mean, these are very classical features. He's very handsome. But I just love, too, that he's, like, really, like, crowned in light and and the cosmos, which is just so beautiful. And if you think about that meaning of the death card, right, the, like, the, the need to transform, the need to give in to evolution and change, you think about the need to give over to cosmic force, cosmic energy, and having death be this figure who on some level is feels really like in relation with the cosmos in the way that you've drawn it and depicted it. Like it really just gives that more like deeply felt relation to it as opposed to, yeah, most people seeing it and immediately seeing the word and then seeing the dark figure and thinking doom and gloom and it's all over. I feel like this one instead is like, all right, so we're at the end of the tunnel here, but like there's the light. And I, 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 I appreciate that so much in this. Thank you so much. I mean, that is the exact kind of vibe that I was really hoping to go for with it. And Oh my God. Yeah. I'm, I'm honored with that. Like it, it definitely, it, it meant a lot to me in making the, that particular card. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And it, it definitely, <laughs> there, it took a few tries. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I know the alternative like that I was going to have for death was like, I was just going to make it kind of like a hooded figure, but instead of having like somebody behind the hood, that it would just be like a star field or something like that. Um, which I think would have would have been fun as well. Um, and it was fun to draw an initial draft for, but yeah, I kind of liked uh, death having a human face uh, with that. And it, yeah, and it felt a lot more fitting to me. I mean, it's just my opinion, but I really think you made the right choice here because when I first saw this card, after spending so much time with all of these skeletons who are full of personality, like I love all of these skeletons, they're very much alive, but then it's arresting. And I think it forces you to immediately challenge your preconceptions about what the death card is and what death might be because you're met with a human face for the first and only time in the deck. Oh my God. Thank you. Yeah. I mean that I've definitely uh, wanted it to be like, you know, one of the most striking cards. I feel like 
I mean, it's got to be in the top five for me, at least, um, in terms of, you know, one of the most intense things to just kind of pull during a reading. And um, yeah, I was really hoping to make it very striking, even though it's very difficult <laughs> to draw human faces. But it's, uh, and I'm glad to hear that the skeletons also came across with personality. I know that I was um, afraid while drawing it that it would come out as too gothic or or too like heavy i suppose um i think that uh, uh a huge inspiration um for for this deck also was the um the flux arcana deck um by nika ulrich um who uh has just done similarly lots of skeletons and i and is very deliberately i think with this like deeply steeped gothic majesty with, with the skeletons and initially i was going for for more of that as well but um and again like not not to it doesn't hold a candle like his his deck is just incredible um but i feel like the the skeletons came out looking kind of goobly like, like they were like you know kind of dancing around <laughs> stuff like that i was afraid that like the vibe that i was not trying to put forward was necessarily fully gothic per se um yeah. and uh i'm glad I, I don't think i could actually draw like a, a an extra spooky um, anatomically correct skeleton if I tried um, they all come out looking kind of um, uh, like they're just kind of jumping around <laughs> yeah they're charming alright so there's a symbol that you have a couple of times uh, drawn in this tarot deck and I don't think I know exactly what it is the only word that maybe comes to mind is like a gyroscope but it's like a quite complex symbol that's depicted in the like seven of pentacles i'm seeing it here in the cosmos card do you know what i'm talking about it it's um oh yeah absolutely what is that it's okay so i one of the inspirations that i uh try to kind of throw into the deck um was kind of like old brass instruments kind of you know cabinet of curiosities like uh, old machinery, which I feel like are kind of the scientific instruments, um, but they always have a kind of cosmic uh, feeling to them, uh, for me at least. And uh, the ones I try to draw specifically are called armillary spheres mm. or uh, orreries. Usually there's something, they're like a navigational instrument, either for finding where you are with like latitude and longitude lines on the earth or uh, mapping star fields. Um, and I tried to kind of like keep in line with some of the older inspirations, like the Memento Mori and the medieval woodcuts and stuff with also harkening back to, um, older, like ideas of the cosmos and space and a kind of like mechanical universe. Um, and, uh, truth be told, it's another case where I just absolutely love drawing them. Like they're they're kind of a pain in the ass to get the geometry right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I've just always loved how these. I feel like armillary spheres, orreries. Uh, I think tellurions are another one. All of these like antique old uh, models of the solar system or the universe. Um, I guess they're not used anymore, but. I feel like whenever I've seen instruments like them, they like fill me with a kind of curiosity and wonder, which not many other things do. They feel simultaneously like so vast and expansive and are exploring the universe, but then also have this kind of like 
antiquarian, esoteric, ancient feel to them as well. And I've always loved them. I actually, that's before I made the deck, um, I, I've built a few uh, faux orreries before. Um, like uh, uh, you can take a, like a battery powered clock and put little planets on them and uh, try to do a little bit of metal work to make a kind of, you know, steampunk looking old mechanism, which, uh, yeah, that, that's, that, that's always been a big inspiration for me. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because they do help the deck to exist outside of time, both like the antiquated kind of retro feel and then also this like futuristic vibe, which feels resonant of what Pamela was doing with the Rider Waite Smith deck too, because while it's medieval, it also is kind of timeless, which is what the tarot I think is doing, which is helping us to map time. And I know that you are also a cartographer. So when we like teach the tarot, we talk about, particularly with the majors, their seasons of life, like everybody moves through them. And when you know where you are, you're like, oh, I'm in an emperor season or I'm in a tower season. It helps you kind of contextualize where you, where you are. And so the tarot is a map, which I'm sure is no surprise to you, but I know you're also a map maker of other kinds. So I just kind of want to draw you out on like, why are you interested in making maps? What does a map mean to you? And how does the tarot as a map compare to the more literal maps that you make of the national parks? I feel like for the tarot, for the maps, for most everything that I like to make, I'm always really interested in, I guess, like the spirit of place. Like, I feel like... Um, depending on where I'm living or working or hiking or something like that at any given time, it is very en enveloping. Like, I feel like you think so differently if you're in a city uh, versus the desert versus the jungle versus one or another national park. Um, and especially I, I know um, I heard that you got married in Joshua tree. Um, which, yeah. Oh my God. One of my favorite places. Like talk, talk about a powerful atmosphere. Yeah. A magical, um, magical place. Yeah, I, God, I, I adore Joshua Tree. And like, yeah, yeah, I think that like with cartography, I found that it was just a way to look really closely at the landscape and try and understand it better. And I felt like, you know, the, the first national park map I made was of Arches National Park, probably my favorite national park. Um, and uh as I was making the map, I discovered a few places that I, I didn't know were there um, before making the map uh, when I was doing research. And I counted that every time that I made another one. So to a certain extent, it's totally self-serving. I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, hunt down all the um, different little secret spots. Um, but I feel like it allows me to kind of connect to a place um, that is different in some ways from actually going and walking around there um and kind of enriches that experience too and uh allows me to kind of make a love letter to to each one as well because i, I god I, I each of every national park i've been to I, I just absolutely adore and they're all so vastly different and i feel like the headspace that i'm in while working on the maps is also very different as i'm just imagining mountains or deserts or forests or something like that um and do my best to try and capture like the spirit of place and with the tarot similarly um i tried to through architecture or space imagery or 
suns and moons and the like trying to kind of set a mood um in a particular location um because i feel like especially in places like ruins or um mountainous landscapes or lakes or something like that it kind of hits me upside the head it's it's a really strong just immersion and everything around you um and yeah i don't know that's kind of my happy place and i feel like any art that kind of relates to that either drawing landscapes or working on maps or something like that it's it's a whole bunch of fun and yeah i, I really haven't gotten tired of it yet Well, I just love what you're bringing up about this idea that where we are brings out something different in us and that there's this exchange that's always happening that maybe we're not aware of, but when you're more conscious of it, you can lean into that encounter more fully. Mm -hmm. I think of it like Angel like really feels his power in New York City. It's like something in the city like brings out something in him. And so that's one way of thinking about it, but especially in nature and all the different faces of nature that it reflects like all the different facets of ourself too. Can you think of any times in particular where being somewhere surprised you with something that came out of you in response to the surroundings? Oh, absolutely. Like, I think that, oh, what well, I was, um, I think probably the, the most vivid example is I was um, at uh, El Moro, which is this beautiful um, uh, rock formation um, in New Mexico, in, in northern New Mexico. And uh, it has a lot of signatures or, or petroglyphs uh signatures of some colonists that showed up as well later on um but it has this incredible overview of the desert um and i know that when i climbed up on el moro i just was like so enraptured with like scrambling in the rocks and then looking out on this enormous vista um and i was like oh my god i, I just love this i love being in this space i love being in this headspace um and I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to see if I can find a job with the Forest Service um, or with the Bureau of Land Management or something like that. It was it was very much like uh, just kind of like, oh, my God, I want to exist in the Southwest to some extent, which I, I think a lot of people get <laughs> when exploring the Southwest. And boy, oh, I've always loved the desert. But that kind of was like a very distinct moment where I was like, wow, yeah, I think I kind of understand where I'm going to like chart my life for the next few days, uh, next few years. And um I don't know. I feel like that's that's happened honestly a number of times. Like I feel like if you just long spend a long enough amount of time out in nature, um, I feel like you always come to some sort of realization about yourself. I feel like definitely if I kind of need to check in with myself or figure out what to do next or um, kind of uh, decompress or or look back on something that's happened, um, then usually the answer is typically being to just take a hike. And usually when I come out of the canyon or the mountain or whatever, I'm like, ah, oh, I gave some clarification. It's great. Um, yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. But I, I feel like, I feel like that hits me um, a lot. I feel like I can definitely think and feel the most clearly uh, when I'm out in natural landscapes. That's amazing. And I love how just being in that place if I love, I just love hearing you talk about the spirit of place. I love that as a phrase and um, just hearing how it almost feels like on some level, like the spirit of that place 
specifically connected you to a, your like greater sense of purpose too. And I love the idea of like place helping to connect one to a sense of purpose. And I feel like we live in such a like fast moving society and most people do that it becomes hard to become present enough to the place that you're standing in. So I think good on you for like recognizing the need to be present to place, present to nature. And I do think nature in general brings that out more, right? Than perhaps a city does. Um, but, but I think wherever you are, you can try your best to like find some presence uh, and see if that does offer a deeper connection to not just purpose, but like yourself as well. Have you always felt like you have had like a connection to the spirit of place, even like when you were young? You know, I think so. I, uh, not necessarily in like an explicitly spiritual sense, but I feel like I've just always loved anything where I can be immersed in a landscape. Um, I, I love urban exploration as well. Um, and abandoned spaces, uh, and for that matter, also don't want to undersell cities. Um, like I, I love, oh my God, like, like cities are a whole other, you know, spirit of place un yeah. unto themselves. And like, I, I think usually I've just been in like the most like calm and inward looking uh, inside of uh, natural landscapes. But I feel like also I've just been like in absolute wonder of cities as well, uh, including New York City. New York City is freaking awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, just puts, it just gives me like my my moving feet, you know? I just feel like in my body more for some reason. I feel like a lot of the time in cities, I'm like, oh, I just want to go out and adventure. Like, it's a good place to like, I don't know. It, it just Every time I've gone to a city, I feel like I get carried around along on some like side quest or something like that, which is just marvelous uh, yeah. or, or a main quest too. I don't know. But like, yeah, I, I think that, um, yeah, I've always like just loved being in different spaces. I know that um, like a, a lot of it may have been from like early childhood too. like uh, my uh, dad uh, no longer is, but was in the military um, and, you know, usually would move every three, three and a half years from uh, different States for a while. He moved overseas and I think that, you know, that's, that's kind of how I like discrete time in my head is always like, oh, what place were we living at? And um, yeah, they kind of just made very different, like powerfully different kind of eras in like, you know, how I, how I think about life. And um, yeah, and I, I honestly came to really love it because I feel like every time that we moved that it would be um a totally different experience and then eventually i started like really wanting to kind of seek out all of those differences that i was like oh my god i can just really be transported to a different way of thinking a different way of experiencing and feeling about the world just by you know exploring my city more thoroughly or uh or going out in nature a little bit or even better of course like you know going overseas or to a different country or something like that and yeah that's that's always been a huge motivation for me i guess always is to like try and see as much as i possibly can like connect to everywhere as, as deeply as i can so you are currently an archaeologist with the national forest service correct yeah and so i feel like you're a really good person to ask this question to it's a huge question i'm not expecting a concrete answer but you are 
studying and learning how people have been relating to the land over large periods of time. You've had your own personal relationship to the spirit of place. What does nature do for us? And why does it seem to give us access to parts of ourselves that are otherwise locked away? I guess, okay, like one of the coolest things I feel about archaeology and especially archaeology surveying is that it's enormously humanizing, I think, just people that lived thousands and thousands of years ago, where, uh, and I think that it kind of shows that spirit of place because like usually the job is is surveying, um, like if there's going to be a controlled burn or some kind of development in an area in the forest, they usually send out us and a slew of other specialties to survey in uh, lines through the woods, um, see if there's anything important that, uh, you know, wouldn't want to, to damage with, with development or a controlled burn or something like that. And um, when we're doing surveying, a lot of the, like we stop for lunch and we're like, oh, oh where, where should we stop for lunch today? Frequently we go over to like, you know, a little overlook or a nice little spot to sit. Um, and like nine times out of 10, there's artifacts there. Like there's ceramics or there's flakes from making stone tools or there's historic artifacts uh, by, like cans um, or, or um, nails and the like from uh, settlers. Um, but a lot of the time <laughs> you just happen to find these spots where you're looking to sit down for a minute and you're like, oh my God, they were thinking the exact same thing. Like we were just wanting to find, like stop for lunch and they were thinking the exact same thing. I was like, oh, this is a really nice place to stop, have a bite, maybe make some tools. Um, and you're like, oh my God, like it's very connecting with that. Um, and uh, I feel like you just like realize that humans have always kind of been uh, the same in some ways. And I think that with nature that you know we i feel like we are so fulfilled when we're in nature because you know that's that's how our, our ancestors you know how humans for a hundred thousand or more years you know most of their lives was, you know hanging out with their friends running around in the woods um and it's only recently that you know we've lived in this world of you know 40 hour a week jobs or uh you know this kind of like vast zoo that we built for ourselves, um, which is wonderful in its own way and, and, and incredible. Uh, but I feel like it's very centering to be in nature, um, that it really connects us with, you know, how uh, all of our ancestors lived, um, how humans have lived for forever and ever. And it has this like incredible feeling of kind of going home, I feel like. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It, it always has been very connecting with that um i think that also with uh archaeology it's it's been wonderful seeing where people chose to build structures in the past um uh, be they like cliff shelters or granaries or you know it, it's interesting you can like i can't do it very well but uh like some people who have doing archaeology for longer than i have can even kind of predict where certain things will be hidden in the landscape um where they'll be like oh you know the sun is going to fall really nicely on that hillside there and that would be a really good cliff to like you know hide some grain over the winter and lo and behold we go over there and, and you know not always but a lot of the times they're right um and that you're like oh wow we've been like kind of 
you know, figuring out how to live in a similar way uh, for, for a very, very long time. And I think that just connects you to people that, you know, you have, you know, thousands of years or, or hundreds of generations between. I love that. I love that you have like these experiences where you get to like that, to actually get to have that like tangible connection moment, you know, where you get to see these ancient artifacts or relics and realize like, oh, wow. Yeah. These people were literally standing right here. That's so amazing. And then you yourself created one. Yeah. With the Tarot Obscura. Exactly. So I have to ask, why is it called the Tarot Obscura? Oh, man. I went through such a long list of names. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, oh, God. I think it was like, I was like, well, there's also like, for a while, I was like Tarot Mystagogue or, or Tarot. Well, I think I have like just a ridiculous list because it was really stumping me. I don't think I like actually came settled on the name until like two thirds through the deck or something like that. And I've always loved like just the, the word obscura, the concept of the obscure and like the kind of esoteric and, and uh, things that you don't see until you really look closely and, Oh, and um, Atlas obscura. Uh, I always loved uh, that mm -hmm. shows the, the coolest little spots uh, around town and, uh, yeah, but I, I'd always loved, like, the idea of, of the obscure, I guess, and, like, having to really search to see things. Um, honestly, I was astounded when, like, looking online, I was like, oh, my God, nobody took the Tarot Obscure? Like, <laughs> I was like, waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, okay, I gotta do it. Um, and, uh, or actually, I think that my mom pushed me with that. I think I was like, yeah, Tarot Obscure sounds like great now. I'm sure somebody took it when I was telling her about it. And she was like, well, you should check. And I was like, oh my God, it's, it's not there. Like, thanks, mom. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, sounded cool. Th thought that it kind of related to what I was trying to impart in the deck um, and uh, some help from my mom. Uh, that's how I, came about. <laughs> I love that. So I'm curious, and maybe the answer will be every card, but were there any specific cards as you were working on them that they revealed a deeper meaning or they surprised you? You thought it was one thing and then in the encounter with working on the card, you realized, oh no, you're something totally else. There were a lot of cards that were not the major arcana that I guess I had just taken more at face value in like the sort of feeling that I got from just seeing the artwork on the Rider Waite Smith that the symbology I didn't know that much about. Um, I, I think there was a lot with like the, the, the suits of cards that had always kind of just gone more off of like what the figures were doing in the Rider Waite Smith and a few other tarot decks um where i just kind of went totally off of that i didn't entirely understand and truthfully still obviously don't entirely understand but didn't understand as much of like the meaning of the different suits um and hadn't evaluated them where it's like oh it's pentacles and this is like really a little bit more to like the material and um you know the cups a little bit more to like emotion and the like and that definitely changed my interpretation of them i feel like there were a lot of cards which looked a little bit dire um what like 
eight of swords, four of swords, a lot of swords, honestly. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, these look kind of spooky um, in the Rider White Smith and some of the other decks that uh, I uh, was going through. Um, but they actually had very, you know, fulfilling meanings. Um, things that uh, not, weren't necessarily like a terrible bad thing. Maybe the the tower being, you know, another excellent representation where I feel like, you know, it has this reputation of being just so terrifying and like such a massive upset. Um, and, you know, but also being the birth of new things. Um, and I think it gave me a lot of appreciation going through each individual card, the astrological signs associated with them, the elemental signs associated with them and just kind of, Oh, and of course the suits and like being able to kind of, you know, turn them one way or the other, look at them from different angles and evaluate them and be like, oh, you know, it can have um, a whole bunch of meanings, which, you know, could be called positive, could be called negative. Um, I think that each one definitely when I was going through, there was a journey where it was like my initial conception of it. And I did some reading and then made a little bit of art and then like did a little bit more reading um, and uh, uh, both reading uh, cards and reading books about it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh then try to kind of like synthesize it into uh, something I thought kind of like expressed it as, as best as I could understand it. Do you have favorites? Oh, of course. Um, oh my God. Uh, I'm really proud of the tower. I love the tower. Um, I really like the hermit because I mean, the hermit just, you know, the, the Rider Waite Smith design just looks so freaking cool. Um, so I was always really looking forward to drawing that one. And, and I'm, I'm happy with how it came out. Um, the entire suit of pentacles, I think like that might be my, my favorite of the suits that I did because I tried I to love your lot. nine of pentacles. Thank you. She's oh my playing God. the violin. It just like, that's what I meant when I said like those skeletons are so charming and they give just as much as any like face would. Like I feel that skeleton so deeply in that card. Oh my God. I am so glad to hear it. That, oh man, it, it's, it's very uh, empowering to hear this because like when looking at it, you're like so struck with like, man, there's all this emotion that I'm thinking of this like, you know figure having is it like all just because i've been thinking about it forever drawing it um I'm, that makes me so happy to hear that it kind of gets a whole feeling and atmosphere across and that, that was one of my favorite ones to draw I, I really enjoy making the nine of pentacles yeah i love her i mean i say her just because i think about like it's a female figure in the in the rider weight smith but i mean obviously we can all see ourselves as that figure yeah in that beautiful oh. in that beautiful pavilion so alex we are so grateful that we got to have this conversation with you and even more grateful that we get to let people know about this amazing artifact <laughs> the tarot obscura <laughs> will you let uh, all of our gazers know how to find you so on instagram i'm uh crypto cartography um on etsy uh it's crypto cartography art um it's a kind of a mouthful. It's it's like the word crypto, like for cryptocurrency, um, which uh, unfortunately the, the Instagram algorithm thinks I just sell cryptocurrency, which, which I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it's, it's like it's crypto and then cartography uh, after that. Um, a little bit of a long one. But yeah, I'm, I'm on Instagram, uh, on Etsy. 
uh, I should have a website up sometime soonish. Um, working on that, but yeah, so I, or or Alex Burton as well online. All right, great. Well, we'll make sure to uh, link people to uh, those sites so that they can more easily find you and your work. Thank you so much, Alex. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It's been amazing being here. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, a great big thank you to Alex for joining us for that Spirit Talk. We're so grateful uh, uh, he took the time to share that beautiful conversation with us. Yes, definitely. Follow him on Instagram. Check out the Terrobscura and all the other art that he creates, his maps of the national parks. He is such a cool dude. Uh, all righty, kids. That so, sound Using means, Alex's deck. Yes. It's time for your tarot card of the episode. So just take a moment, get connected to your deeper self, your wiser self. The true self. Just trusting that this message will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. And so the message that we need as we're coming out of eclipse season into Sagittarius season, a time of transition... Moving forwards, obstacles removed, the card is the High Priestess reversed. Oh, why she got to be reversed, though? Why she got to be upside down? Okay, so when a card is reversed, it can mean several many things. First and foremost, it can mean that you are resistant to this energy. So... I know that we're kind of getting ready for holiday season and the high priestess reverse can sometimes be like, it's hard to create the time and space that you need to be deeply intuitive, to be still meditative, connected to yourself. So there might be like a resistance uh, to that. And the truth is, is that if we're not connected to our inner visionary, our inner mystic, then wherever we go in the world, we're going to get into trouble because our intuition is our greatest guide. The other reversal could just be that we're not trusting. I think that's what's coming through for me, ping, 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 is like you are not trusting what you know is true. How many times have you had a gut instinct about something and then ignored it because it was inconvenient or you were afraid to trust that you actually knew what you were feeling and then you ended up being right? So I think everyone could stand at this time to do what you need to do so that you have a clear pathway to your inner high priestess. The high priestess, you know, she sits in between worlds and she's connected to not just the invisible, but also what is contained in our physical world. So she's connected to the moon, which sometimes is invisible, but sometimes can be seen. And even when it's not seen, it can be felt. So I think there's something about trusting in what you feel over what can be quantified. And this can also be a time of year where we might feel compelled to like buy things and impress people and try to like even quantify for ourselves like what we achieved this year and I would just say like don't take the bait and 
put your attention on the things that free you up to move as you want to in the world and make sure that the things you're giving your attention to the most are the things that you'll be able to carry with you wherever it is that you go. And with that, we just want to say thank you for being here. Yes, thank you all so much for joining us. And I hope wherever you are uh, listening to this, that you are feeling loved, that you feel safe in this world, that you feel in some way connected to your higher self and know that there is a purpose for you here. You are meaningful and we are grateful for you. Yeah, that's really well said. We all matter. We do. We really do. But I think one of the greatest adventures that we each have to go on is for ourselves realizing why we matter, you know? Not because of what we've achieved and not because of what other people say about us, but like that deep inner high priestess knowing yeah, that like our soul matters and it's here. It's here for a reason. Even if those reasons defy our mind's ability to articulate them. Mm-hmm. So hoping Scorpio season is treating you well. As always, you can find uh, everything out about us at thespiritualgaze.com or uh, you can follow us on one of the social medias, the Instagram, the TikTok, the Facebook. Just search The Spiritual Gaze. We're there. Until next time, this has been your transit through The Spiritual Gaze.